Thank you so much for tuning in to the latest episode of the Science Unfiltered podcast. Before we get started, I just want to say that the Phenomenex family is here for our community. We hope you are all staying safe and healthy, and we truly hope for a future of peace and justice for all. Now, let's jump into a typical episode of Science Unfiltered. Today, we're going to hear from technical specialist guests, Genevieve Hodson and Zachary Woodward, as they chat about bridging the worlds of liquid chromatography and gas chromatography. Usually, we hear about topics of just one, of one or the other, so this is going to be a really interesting conversation to listen into. But before we dive into their fun conversation, here are a few announcements from Phenomenex. Since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, Phenomenex has dived into live and on-demand webinars hosted by several of our technical and industry experts on a variety of topics. You can find the upcoming webinar schedule at www.phenomenex.com upcoming webinars. And we also offer a free library of on-demand webinars at www.phenomenex.com webinars. Our next live North America webinar, after the original air date of this current episode, will be Wednesday, June 3rd, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, focusing on mobile phase optimization for oligonucleotide analytical methods by LCMS. Visit Phenomenex.com today to register. We are also thrilled to announce a new addition to our biologics column profile with BioZen Wide Pore C4, which helps you achieve better resolution with large biologics. To learn more about this core shell particle, visit www.phenomenics.com slash BioZen. Now we're going to switch over into Genevieve and Zach's discussion as it does take a little bit of time, but believe me, it is worth the listen as they discuss and sometimes debate the worlds of gas chromatography and liquid chromatography. Take it away, guys. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Uh, this is Genevieve and Zach. Um, we're going to talk to you guys a little bit about uh, GC and LC. So a little bit of introductions. My name is Genevieve Hodson, and I am a technical member at Phenomenix. I've been a technical member for about two years now and uh, came from kind of a small molecule LC method development background. Uh, what about you, Zach? All right. Well, uh, like yourself, I've been with the uh, technical team here at Phenomenix for about, uh, about a year and a half. And I also came from a uh, um, small molecule method development background, uh, particularly with respect to uh, clinical applications, and uh, uh, have done a bit of work with uh, both uh, LC, certainly LC method development and uh, GC method development. Nice, nice. So uh, the goal of this podcast today, Zach and I just kind of wanted to kind of you know get together with this social distancing and have a conversation and uh, we thought that you guys might be interested in hearing what we talk to each other about um, but but really we wanted to discuss the similarities and the differences between the two chromatographic techniques you know LC and GC and 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 for those that are curious to learn more about maybe either technique yeah, so in particular, if you're very comfortable comfortable with one technique, but you've uh, you've just always been curious about the other side, then um, uh, this, <laughs> the dark this side. Pod, yes, yes. So uh, depending who you ask, the other is the dark side. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the uh, yeah, this is the podcast for you. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah. So analytes, right? Let's start. Yep. Let's start at the beginning. What are we analyzing, mm -hmm. Zach? What is the what does a typical GC analyte look like? So when working with GC, just uh, right out of, out of the gates, your analyte needs to be volatile, which is to say that you can uh, kick it up into the gas phase. Uh, that doesn't necessarily need to be achieved at the boiling point for an analyte, but rather uh, just hot enough to achieve a uh, transition into the gaseous state, uh, just in the same manner that water evaporates you know, at room temperature. So similar. So uh, yeah. Well, so like gases and uh, liquids, I would guess, right? I mean, I would guess <laughs> gases <Yeah>. and liquids. <laughs> certainly gases and, uh, and liquids. And then even um, certainly solids as well. Uh, so long, again, as they can be just volatilized. But 
that is uh, there are also some uh, you know certainly some limitations there when work especially when working with solids you you right out of the gates you can't work with salts um, yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that's kind of so, I mean that, that's kind of where you know LC takes over right because uh, yeah. you know you get you can you don't really have that that limitation necessarily you know there's a there's a wider range of of analytes. Um, and certainly larger analytes, you know, proteins yes. and peptides even it gets pretty big um, mm -hmm. with the kilodaltons and milladaltons polymers. But um, yeah, and, and there is a there is a wide range, but, you know, things do get tricky, smaller. And um, especially with those like really polar analytes, we uh, LC does have a lot of, of problems retaining those. And, and mm -hmm. uh, that's why I'm very thankful for GC to take over those compounds. <laughs> We'll take those. Uh, we'll take those analyses. In GC, we'll take those analyses of uh, analyzed like methanol and ethanol. Yeah, um, for sure. Such. But then, where it gets even with small molecules that aren't necessarily ionic, uh, just sugar, uh, poly uh, with monosaccharides. Yeah. Those on their own, those are not amenable to GC, just because uh, while neutral, the polarity is um, very concentrated. Uh, within mm. such a small molecule, you know, so many hydroxyl groups within a uh, six-carbon sh uh, sugar. But uh, so there, we have to resort to derivatization in, the, in yeah. those instances. So that's, I mean, that's a great point because, like, you can you can do sugars underivatized by um, LC, you know, mm -hmm. it, it, but they are very very polar. Um, so that's like one of those, you know, where yeah, you can amend it for GC, but you know, you can do it underivatized by LC. Um, you know, with something, yeah, yeah, there are certain sugar columns that that are out there that, that can be doing. Yeah, they can do it. <laughs> what with um what's cool about LC is uh I, I, when it comes to acids and bases, you have the option of evaluating it either in a uh protonated or deprotonated form, whereas with um with GC, you have you need to be mindful of neutralizing the charge. Uh so for such acids a good and bases. Point. That's such a good point. That that is a really good point. Yeah, you can do, you know, you can really like, you know, zero in on on that acid and that acid mm -hmm. and bases. But yeah, yeah, GC is just just different. Um, speaking of sure. yeah, <laughs> speaking of differences, um, you know, LC for injection wise, samples are in solvent and then they get injected onto the system and the solvent, but. Uh, but GC kind of takes a turn turn there uh, with a lot of different uh, injection techniques. <laughs> just right out of the gates, we just, yeah, just uh, we make it complicated. <laughs> so um, yeah, with G with GC, uh, you um, you could certainly introduce your uh, sample just directly onto the column, uh, in which case it would need to be introduced uh, as a liquid. Um, at which point it will volatilize throughout the course of the analysis. That would be called direct. Still, it's kind of considered a direct injection, similar to LC, right? Yeah, you could think of that as a manner of direct injection, um, and and it goes by the name of either interchangeably um, direct inject or on column injection. Ah, well. Yeah, the, uh, but from there, um, you can inject the entirety of your sample onto the column through what's called a splitless injection. Mm. And uh, here, so most of the time you'll run into split and splitless injections when working with uh, GC. And uh, during such an injection, the liquid sample is volatilized within an injection port. Mm -hmm. And then either the entirety of that volatilized sample is transferred onto the column in the instance of a splitless injection, or a large portion of that is actually just vented to uh, the atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> in the instance of a split injection, so yeah, and that's really, and that's that's actually the uh, um, the most common means of controlling how much sample enters the column. Whereas with the LC, it's like more injection volume, kind of, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, so uh, it's like kind of kind of a way to control, you know, like uh, peak shape and stuff on GC. Mm -hmm. Whereas in, in LC, we kind of have mostly injection volume to kind of kind of help with that exactly. cool. so but then uh, um, within uh, pharmaceutical um, the pharmaceutical industry in particular and then uh, other as well as other industries uh, where within which uh, residual solvents are a concern mm -hmm. uh, headspace becomes very popular cool. as a yeah, means of injection as well 
Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a big difference because, you know, it's not, not, not an LC, <laughs> not an LC kind <laughs> of thing. You can't just have things go into vapor and then, and then onto an LC column. Yep. yep. Uh, but speaking of columns, right, and, and, and kind of a lot of similarities, I feel like, I feel like when we get to the columns, while they look drastically different, a lot of the, you know, separation uh, things that are going on in there are are really similar um, between LC and GC. Um, for instance, like the ID of a column, the internal diameter. Um, you know, for LC, this is something that's going to increase the sensitivity. Uh, this is one way. So, you know, common analytical, um, like an analytical dimension would be mm-hmm. a four point six millimeter ID. And then, you know, if you if you're you're having sensitivity issues one way you can increase that sensitivity is by lowering that id that internal diameter go to 3.0 millimeter or maybe a 2.0 and that'll that'll help with the sensitivity Uh, i think it's pretty similar for gc right it is it it, it can be and um you within gc a uh I should say when uh, the context within uh, which we commonly work with GC of Phenomenics is with uh, what are called wall-coated open tube columns, uh, colloquially just um, capillary, capillary GC columns. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, but uh, yeah, the uh, co- a larger ID in those instances would be uh, certainly uh, 0.53 millimeters uh, or 0.32 millimeters, but uh, the smaller IDs would be on the order of um, 0.25 millimeters starts to approach those smaller IDs, but then 0.2, mm-hmm. 0.18, 0.10 millimeters wow. uh, for the internal diameter. That's where it gets, that's <laughs> where we increase the sensitivity. But um, when working with GC though, you there's the additional concern with the thickness of the, uh, the stationary phase film. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's where, yeah, when uh, shrinking down the uh, internal diameter, one would need to be aware of shrinking down the the thickness of the film as well. Otherwise, uh, um, <clears throat> what I'm trying to say. Otherwise, it, the it can feel with a uh, smaller internal diameter, but the same thickness of film. It could feel as if you're uh, walking through, you know, a mud pit. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because like if you're lowering the ID. The internal diameter but the phase is kind of the same so you're you're, you're really you know const- not not allowing a lot of uh area for the gas to flow through um yeah yeah, yeah. And, and so and and the phase yeah the the phase that film thickness um mm-hmm. kind of kind of relates to the the particle size in 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 lc but you know we don't really have that that phase ratio issue yeah. uh necessarily uh, but that, but that does, I mean, that is a limited, you know, it isn't an, an issue for GC. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to kind of um, delve into that a little bit further. Um, yeah. The, uh, just, yeah, we'll, we'll touch the surface. <laughs> yes, yes. Just skim <laughs> the, uh, the surface of yes. these ratios. <laughs> the, um, yeah, so with the, with the, uh, the thickness of the film, that'll kind of determine how quickly an analyte can transition into and out of the uh, the stationary phase. Mm-hmm. And then the internal diameter just determines how frequently those transitions can occur. It's kind of like bumping into the, you know, running down a wide open street versus <laughs> running down a narrow hallway. You yeah. Bump into the balls. Like a hyperactive kid, essentially, you know, especially with how... <laughs> A lot of our so, kids are uh, doing that these days. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, I, I, I see just hearing the, the bumping off of like the pinging off of the walls. But yeah. I mean, that, that's a great I mean, that's a great visual, you know, and and I mean, the particle size, you know, it, it the particle size for LC, you know, you have your your fully porous particle and, and the 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 molecule is going through the particle. So it kind of has some of that, you know when you lower the particle size, you're, you're, you're kind of making that, um, you know, you're, you're lowering that pathway, I guess, um, yeah, exactly. making it more efficient. Uh, I like to think of like particle size with LCN. Well, you know, we're just skimming the surface again. Uh, I like to think of it as like a marching band personally, particle size. And, um, you know, I like to think of like Disney world and you've got your main street and, uh, 
normally, you know, your, your, your main street, if you have your main street packed with like adults, you know, they're very, they're larger, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. uh, you kind of, you kind of have to navigate and it kind of takes you a while and you kind of have to skirt around and it takes you a long time to get around, um, around through, you know, the main street. But if you, if there's just a bunch of like children on main street, then it's, it's pretty easy to walk through. Cause you know, they're, they're smaller, they don't take up as much room and they're easy to walk around. <laughs> That's kind of how I like to think of like particle size and and um and packing with the LC columns <laughs> and kind of like diffusion and uh, and that kind of stuff. I mean, that's that's a lot. So we'll kind of yeah, kind of yeah, move yeah, past exactly. that. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but the yeah, we'll kind of move past that. That's a whole nother topic. But uh, <laughs> but uh, one of the biggest differences for me um, between LC and and GC. I mean, analytes, yes. But the length, the length of the columns is so different. And that's and that's what you really see, like visually, that huge difference. They look drastically different, even though like what's happening inside of there is very similar. Um, But, you know, uh, typical LC format is 250 millimeters or, um, you know, maybe 100 millimeters, 50 millimeters, kind of the the smallest, but long end is, is, you know, maybe 300 millimeters, but uh, that's nothing. That doesn't touch. <laughs> that's nothing compared to GC. In GC, we, when it comes to the length, we speak in terms of meters. Yeah, not millimeters. <laughs> Which is why they're wrapped around that coil. So um, in addition to other reasons, but, uh, but yeah. With GC, a typical column is going to be 30 meters long. Um, yeah, <laughs> the uh, but they can be as short um, for an actual analytical column. They can be as short as five to ten meters, or as long as 100 to 150 meters. Wow. <laughs> and working with capillary columns. Wow. And, and, and I mean, similarly, you know, similar to to LC, the column length helps. Um, you know, determine the efficiency of the column. Yes, uh, so that, yep. yeah, so that's a that's a common ground between the two, right? So LC and GC. The longer the column, the more theoretical plates. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and then high theoretically, the the higher the efficiency. So mm-hmm. those 150 meter yeah. columns <laughs> should be pretty pretty uh, efficient there but um and, yeah. <laughs> if you need and more I, efficiency you need some method development <laughs> yeah yeah but i mean that that that's something that i think people don't don't often mm-hmm. talk about as one of the advantages of gc is, is how efficient they are you know and when we're talking about peak efficiency we're uh, just we we're just referring to how sharp that peak really is yeah and how sharp and symmetrical uh but yeah sharp symmetrical narrow uh an advantage of efficiency just being the ability to uh, better resolve um one peak from a neighboring peak and we were talking earlier about the uh, ways of increasing efficiency through uh, smaller particles and uh, as well as phase ratio for gc and what's cool about those an awareness of that component is not necessarily having to need such a long column. Mm-hmm. If you have an awareness of the uh, um, other means of improving efficiency, yeah. So, which again right. is a similarity between LC and GC. Yep, so, definitely. So shorter definitely. columns, shorter analysis. Shorter analysis, but also you know different different efficiencies. So you got to play with both both of those. But um, yeah. So talking about uh, you know kind of moving from the column to the detector uh, mm-hmm. we, there there's definitely some differences in the two detectors um and some similarities so uh, you know with with hplc uh we've got a the common like most common detector would be uh uv vis which is kind of like semi like how do what what am I looking for? It's like semi-specific, right? Um, Broad, but doesn't necessarily catch every single thing. Thank you, yeah. thank you. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, and then you have like a, 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 another detector would be like mass spec or RI refractive index or um, electrospray detector. Um, that those are kind of the common ones uh, for for 
4-H PLC. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think there, there is some overlap with, with GC. I know mass spec is, is a common detector as well. And, uh, and they work pretty much the same way. Mm-hmm. The, uh, in terms of broad, yeah, you know, on the same lines, broad or just fair or just common detectors in GC would be, as you said, mass spec, and then uh, beyond that, uh, what are called thermocouple detectors. A lot of uh, a lot of us are first introduced to GC through the use of a TCD thermocouple detector when in school. But uh, beyond that, um, the FID. The FID is the detector that you'll see most often, and this is, uh, but comparable to UV viz uh, and yeah. LC and FID, it can see a lot, but it can't mm-hmm. necessarily see everything. As long as it has, in the instance of FID, as long as you have uh, combustible carbon within your um, analyte's molecular structure, you can see it. If you can light it on fire, you can see it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it is, right? It's just yep. like a, fl- I mean, it's a flame, right? And I and, guess and, UV viz, yeah, go ahead. If you can yeah, light it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, UV viz, like similar, if you can light it up. I mean, yeah, yep. totally. Um, UV viz, I kind of, yeah, forgot to mention that like UV viz, it's semi because the analyte of interest needs to have a chromophore or in other words, it needs to have some, right. some kind of high pi um, bonding that will absorb um, mm-hmm. in the UV or visible spectrum, and that yeah, that's that's not every compound. So you know that, that is something to to you know consider. Like sugars don't really have a lot of absorbance, and, and that's a, that's an issue. Um, and then uh, rev- um, the RI and ELSD, they're more universal, so that they, they're not really you can you can pretty much run any compound on it and you'll get um you'll get a signal uh, and mass spec you know kind kind of right <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i was gonna say what do you want to what do you do when you really want to dial it in and and look for a specific analyte in yeah LC? yeah yeah mass spec for sure God. right <laughs> and, and and same with i mean same with gc right i know uh there i, I and that's that's something that I think is that was different for me at first was coming to terms with the fact that like GC mass spec, there's a library of results because, you know, there's, there's a kind of a finite amount of analytes. And so there's library data for all of the mass spec. And, and and that's pretty amazing. You know, it's like, there's a, there's a GC mass spec library, but for LC, um, because of the broad range of analytes there, there's not that same kind of library that's available. Um, you know, not, not to say Mm -hmm. that, that, that it's not, but, but really you're, you're using the mass spec to gather that information for you, um, about establish it. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Where, where, uh, versus going from a library, you know, so what you're saying is don't completely forget the skills developed when answering those questions in organic chemistry class to yeah. figure out the uh, the, <laughs> yeah. the analytical the the analyte structure. <laughs> totally. Data. What totally. Is this? Zach, I know I know we're analytical chemists, but we can't forget all of our chemistry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> gotta gotta remember some of it. As speaking of organic chemistry, right? Yeah. Um, wait, do we do we go over all of the GC detectors? I think maybe. Well, I yeah, beyond mass spec with uh, with GC, when you um, another means of just really dialing it in is uh, using um, what are called electron capture detectors, and these are really common in the environmental um, uh, doing, doing environmental analyses. And, kind of specific. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because uh, they are ECD detectors are sensitive towards anodes that are very electronegative. They can absorb a put um, an electron that's emitted by a uh, compound, radioactive component within the uh, detector. So, but, uh, but what, what's cool about that is you can evaluate uh, a sample. Let's say uh, you're looking for chlorinated pesticides that might be con- uh, contaminating an oil, a sample of mineral oil. Mm-hmm. A sample of mineral oil would overwhelm yeah, SIT. Talk about yeah. it, right? Yeah, exactly. It's all carbon. It's all combustible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, good luck looking for that. You know that chlorinated yeah, that pesticide at the parts per million level. 
Yeah, Whereas, totally. like, uh, yeah, and ECD just completely ignores all of that, um, all of those hydrocarbons. Um, so, uh, but likewise, like with with UV vis, what about like sometimes yeah. sometimes lots of things analyze. Uh, I'm sorry, absorb at the same wavelength of mm -hmm. light. So uh, yeah, um, you can kind of get more specific. Um, you know, so kind of similarly, you can get more specific with um fluorescence yeah you know so you can really zero in because yeah maybe everything you know maybe a few compounds have the same absorbance but the absorbance and emission spectrums are, go are going to be the, those two wavelengths you know we're mm -hmm. going from one to two and absorb you know absorption and, and emission so that that or excitation and emission and that that's really gonna you know, zero win, kind of, kind of like what you're talking about. And then, okay, then there's cool. a, you know, there's, there are a number of other, other detectors that are extremely specific, um, like electrodes and, and, um, and that oh, kind of thing too. But, but yeah, you know, you can get, you can get pretty specific, um, oh. but talk about, talk about specifics, right. And, mm -hmm. and a lot of, uh, a lot of different things going on, um, with regards to LC, there's, and and the mobile phases, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that's a that's a big difference between the two techniques. So GC, yeah. <laughs> GC, uh, not not so much, right? Yeah, GC, uh, yeah, right out of the gates, your know, mobile phase is is a guess. But um, <laughs> <laughs> what's nice about GC, I guess, is the simplicity of the mobile phase, where uh, the primary purpose of the of the mobile phase guess is just to usher things along just kind of say keep it moving people keep it, keep moving. it moving so it really 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 yeah. is mobile you know it's really yeah, like exactly. mobilizing it that's the purpose of it mm -hmm. great um and and then some of the common gases that are used what what do those look like and and are there any you know any characteristics of a gas that i mean can i use any gas yeah yeah the big three are going to be um helium hydrogen and nitrogen so you'll, uh, what's great, uh, so all three are, um, are inert gases. Yeah. The, so they won't, uh, they won't interact with your anions. Uh, That's beyond, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> beyond that, um, you know, when would you choose between the three? Um, mainly, the main differences are, uh, the biggest differences are going to be when jumping from nitrogen to either helium or hydrogen. Nitrogen is really heavy relative to those other two. So um, flow rates tend to be slower. Mm. And that's because earlier we talked about that mass transfer. Yeah, transition. yeah. So when your analyte's popping its head back out of the <laughs> stationary phase, like a gopher, <laughs> popping its head out of the stationary phase back into the mobile phase, um, a heavy analyte, you know, a heavy mobile phase, I'm sorry, runs the risk of causing that analytical band to kind of smear and spread out and yeah ultimately that would result in large peaks mm -hmm. so you want to keep the mobile phase going slow but then um when you're working with a really light gas now the risk is when your when your gas is already in that volatilized state and it could easily diffuse and spread out mm -hmm. when surrounded by light gas because your anamite could just simply push that like gas out of the way it could push the helium out of the way so a faster flow rate keeps that flow rate moving that, yeah yeah it keeps yeah. that anaerobic peak just nice and compact nice nice but really that's it so it's a heavy <laughs> gas go slow if it's a light gas go fast nice that's it. <laughs> yeah a little bit more complicated in uh liquid chromatography right oh yeah um, yeah <laughs> little bit more a little bit more complicated the you know mobile phase is of course a liquid uh but there's a strong component and a weak component um to the mobile phase and the strong component is going to promote uh promote the the compound moving and and then the weak component is going to promote retention um so the if depending on you know, how long you want the compound to stay on the stationary phase, how much you want it to interact, you can increase or decrease the weak component. Um, and similarly, you can increase and decrease the strong 
components and and for reverse phase which is the most common type of um, HPLC that's out there uh, these the strong component would be some kind of organic like acetonitrile or methanol um, maybe IPA or THF uh, and then weak would be water or buffer and and buffers you know there's a wide range of buffers the the job of the buffer is to really buffer the pH uh, we want to keep kind of the pH similar so that we can keep our our compound of interest in a specific species. Uh, and, and this is kind of what you were going back to analytes, right? Um, and, and GC wanting the neutral form. And in, in HPLC, depending on what form the compound's in, what species, if it's protonated, if it's deprotonated, if it's neutral, uh, if it's an acid, you know, basic, acidic, uh, this will will really change the retention. It can change the retention time, can affect your reproducibility. Anyway, we, I can go on for hours oh, yeah. about <laughs> about uh, you know solvent strength and everything. But but uh, you know in the end, there's a strong component and a weak component of uh, of the solvents of the liquid, and you can change that ratio of organic and buffer to promote retention or to promote elution. And uh, there's a lot of different ratios, a lot of method development oh, yeah. there um, can change different types, different selectivities, and all kinds of stuff. Well, one of the, when I, um, I don't know about you, <laughs> but when I was starting out with chromatography, it was baffling. <laughs> and uh, one of the things that took me a while to get my head around was recognizing when we talk about strong mobile phase and weak mobile phase, like strong relative to what? And get like, oh man, that, that relationship between the mobile phases and the stationary phase, that, that took me a while to really, to really embrace. How about, um, yeah, I'm, how about, how about on your end? How were you walked through it? Yeah, I mean, you know, that that method development side, you know, it, it, it takes a lot. And, you know, again, like you're, you have your mobile phase moving through that's trying to move your analyte through and then you have your stationary phase and um you know you really want to have that interaction different interactions um taking place and 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 those interactions with the stationary phase um and especially with regards to liquid chromatography you have you know does your does your compound want to interact with your stationary phase or does it want to interact with the mobile phase and that that's where your separation comes into play and um and so you know you you have you can you have that interaction which is going to promote retention or that um interaction with the mobile phase that's going to promote elution and i think that that's um i think that mm -hmm. that's that's important and and also you know, your stationary phase plays a big role, not only in LC, but I think for GC too, but yeah, for, yeah. for LC, you know, it's, there's a different kinds of stationary phases, C18, uh, C8, phenyl phases, biphenyl, phenylhexyl and stuff like that. And each of those have different interactions, hydrophobic, and the primary interactions I would say are like hydrophobic uh, and polar interactions or high uh, high aromatic interactions that we're we're really trying to focus in on and, and hydrophobic is really you know how much does it favor water how much does it favor uh, organic right so you know uh, yeah okay okay of course I guess we, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I think that the that the interactions are a little bit different for for LC and GC with the stationary phase right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah with uh in terms of how they go about, how they interactions kind of occur with with GC, um, you'll often hear hear referred to as a boiling point separation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and and like I said earlier, it's not necessarily a boiling point exactly, but more just you know vapor pressure. When does an analyte vaporize or volatilize? But once it does volatilize and travels through the column, it's still going to bump into the uh, stationary phase mm -hmm. and during which like that hallway you were talking about <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly and uh um that's where the um, um what we call secondary interactions occur 
And so as you as as you were discussing the uh, that that's where the polar interactions or non-polar interactions would come into play, as well as with um, pi pi binding, uh, fent, um, aromatic uh, stacking. Those interactions interactions would come into play with those uh, um, when yeah when bumping into the, uh, the the walls of the hallway. So, yeah, yeah. yeah just when bump whenever the NI bumps uh, into the stationary phase and has a brief transition into and out of it. So yeah, those those kind of like secondary interactions. Yeah. So the so the primary would be kind of the temperature, right? Um, and yeah. then and then kind of secondary would be these intramolecular forces, right? Mm -hmm. These mm -hmm. kind of interactions. But I mean, talking about about that, right? You were talking about temperature, um, and 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 that's kind of like the the main main yeah the main driving force right you, you have a gas and the gas is your mobile phase and it kind of it doesn't change right and mm -hmm. and I, and i can change the concentration of the strong and the weak component of of the hplc mobile phase to promote retention or elution yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and and i maybe i want to do that one ratio maybe you know an isocratic run or I want to do it with a gradient where I change the percentage of um, of organic or strong solvent over time to promote that elution and, and really control it. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and that's something I think that you guys, that GC can do as well. But it looks a little different. Yeah, but the, um, with GC, the, you're, I remember when I was in clinical, I saw a lot of... Uh, you know, isocratic you know, methods, you know, when working with LC. Yeah. And, uh, but then you know, as I've delved deeper into GC, the, uh, I've noticed that uh, iso, uh, we, we just call them isothermal. <laughs> <laughs> same idea, same, just, yeah, yeah the idea. One temperature. Exactly, exactly. Uh, isothermal methods aren't nearly as common, and uh, they're out there, but uh, just not as common as what we call a, uh, Oven temperature gradients. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah it's all sorts of names <laughs> referred to the gradient within uh, within GC. But um, what's what was what's tricky when bouncing between LC and GC is the manner with within by which uh, gradients are explained mm -hmm. or described. In uh, GC, we depict the gradient by stating the time duration for which a, a temperature was held constant. As well as the the slope mm, by which yeah. the uh, temperature changes from one to the next, yeah. so a method might be along the lines of fifty degrees Celsius for one minute, followed by ten degrees Celsius a minute, you know, a slope of ten degrees Celsius a minute up to two hundred and fifty degrees. Hold that for five minutes. Yeah, that, that's yeah, that's a <laughs> great. Me. I mean that's a great point. It's like, it's, it, yeah, it really is like 10, 10 degrees per minute or something. That's yeah. the slope. Whereas with, with HPLC, you, you don't really hear the slope being talked about that much. You, you really just kind of see it as just a program, you know, start zero minutes at 70% organic. And then, you know, at 20 minutes, you will be at um, you know, a hundred percent organic, yeah, uh, yeah or ninety percent organic, and then you know, uh, that's kind of the 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 talking. You don't really talk about that slope in between. You just kind of talk about like it's kind of a little bit more robotic. I don't know. It kind of feels like it's like <laughs> at time zero, this you know, at time twenty minutes, this done. Like, mm -hmm. but uh, but yeah, yeah, that is a that is a different a difference, you know, between the two. It's a great great point. Um. And and kind of talking about you know differences and gradients and and the length you know a typical runtime um, speaking of like runtimes and and, yeah. and and that kind of thing runtimes with um, you know HPLC are 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 you know they're they're decently short you know maybe thirty minutes and and I feel like GC is somewhere in, in that you know thirty minutes to an hour um, but with HPLC. Uh, you know, there's this this high pressure trend, this UHPLC trend of of getting shorter and shorter run times, yeah. uh, and getting and we're able to do that because we're able to lower that particle size, but also work at immense pressures. 
Um, and, and the HPLCs, the high, the high performance and the ultra high performance, you know, ultra high pressure, they're able to take that high, high back pressure. And, and that allows us to drive down that runtime into the, you know, from 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour to one minute, 30 seconds, that mm-hmm. kind of runtime. But, uh, GC. Yeah, that's astounding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Along those lines with GC, um, just the the temperature, the uh, just by nature of some of the uh, temperature gradients and the uh, the slopes necessary to uh, induce um, not not just elution, but uh, I should say uh, uh, resolution. They a short GC method would typically be you know, ten to fifteen minutes would be a short one, and um, beyond that. Uh, yeah, beyond that, I would say just, um, yeah, they tend to be longer. But the advantage is you can, because of that high efficiency, you can cram in a lot of analytes. So yeah. while it would be a 30-minute run, you'd see, you know, sometimes 30, 40 peaks. Yeah, totally. You've got that higher peak capacity. Um, and speaking of, you know, the, the like length and, and capacity and efficiency, uh, you know, there's, there's two kind of, um, there's two kind of, there, there, speaking of like formats and, and what, what you're able to do with it. Right. Um, you know, GC kind of has a little bit of a limitation there while it has that high efficiency, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. It's pretty much for practical, all practical purposes, an analytical tool. So you will see examples of preparative GC when it comes to cleaning up, uh, you know, purifying things like helium gas or propane gas, but really it's an analytical tool. Yeah, well, um, you know, well, HPLC, it's got that, you know, it has the analytical, but it also has that um, prep format that's available for purification mm-hmm. of, of, and we see this in the pharma world, you know, where mm-hmm. it's used in bulk. I mean, like just vast <laughs> silica are used mm-hmm. to, to purify compounds and everything like that. So that, that is one of the, you know, bigger differences between the two is that uh, HPLC has that ability to, to go into that prep format uh, mm-hmm. that to, for purification. So well, it's one thing to run, like, to actually run the sample, but uh, um, it's another thing to get your to uh, get your sample ready for uh, even being able yeah. to be introduced into the column. With uh, so uh, yeah, when that kind of brings us to uh, sample prep, which is uh, surprisingly similar. In, yeah, uh, yeah, between the totally. Two. Kind of gets yeah. overlooked in GC. Uh, yeah, I I completely agree. I think that you know sample preparation is a is a big, um, it's it's very important and. You know, with HPLC, we're kind of looking at contaminants and removing the contaminants from the matrix or what the sample is dissolved in. Um, and, and that's the same. That's the same for GC, right? Your your contaminants are just kind of considered something different, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But at the end of the day, you still need to uh, uh, remove any non-essentials from your sample. You know, for example, like a soil analysis. You can't <laughs> Certainly, you can't just inject dirt. But uh, but then even then, if you were to uh, you know rinse the soil with something like with an organic solvent or or water, you would still want to be mindful of cleaning up um, at the very least desalting uh, your mm-hmm. sample, uh, and then um, being mindful of anything beyond that. But um, where things get tricky with GC is that uh, I know you folks like to do uh, lots of solid phase extraction in yes. LC. Yeah. With uh, GC, it's you know the sample is certainly uh, you know solid phase extraction is a fantastic tool, but um, in for LC, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for LC there's always the step there's often the step of evaporating down what elutes from the uh, SPE tubes, mm-hmm. and so if you were to do that in GC, you would kind of defeat the purpose because with GC we're dealing with yeah, volatile, t- totally. uh, volatile uh, uh, samples, and so to evaporate your sample down after SPE in anticipation of GC, that would, that runs the risk of evaporating out your actual target element too. Totally. Totally. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and talking about, I mean, yeah, you're, you're right. Like SPE, there's, there's, 
um, sample preparation, there are so many different techniques and, and you know, we um, so many different techniques to do. And, and you can kind of, I mean, talking about techniques in your sample and stuff like that, you can, um, you can kind of use analyte focusing, right? Uh, when you're yeah. working with your I mean, analyte focusing, maybe solvent focusing for GC, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it, it just kind of brings us to the topic of just what to do when your sample actually yeah, gets onto the, you know, enters column. the column. <laughs> so enter the column. So, um, with uh, in GC, with solvent focusing, you typically want to start your method at a low temperature with the intention of essentially just recondensing the sample once it actually enters the column. Like and this will uh, consolidate what was a vaporized sample when it enters, mm -hmm. um, you know, for like split, split list, that type of thing. Uh, when your sample actually enters the column, um, you kind of recondense that vapor back into a much smaller liquid. Mm -hmm. And this tightens up the uh, you know, your analytical bands, ultimately giving you some uh, sharp peaks. Focusing Whereas if you started in. right out of the gates with a high temperature, your mm -hmm. peaks would just be really broad. Cool. That's a, I mean that's a that's a really cool that it's a cool technique and and you know I, I think that kind of brings us to do, talking about like what your sample is dissolved in, right? Um, and mm -hmm. I mean with with HPLC, obviously you know you you need to be dissolved in a liquid to inject the liquid. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, like what liquid do you use? And, uh, that's, I mean, it's something that I, I you know, think about a lot and it, it really does impact the chromatography. What do you dissolve your sample in? Mm -hmm. Um, and for HPLC, you know, you, you want to get as close to your mobile phase and, and specifically your starting mobile phase, um, as, as you can. And that's kind of like yeah. that focusing that you were talking about, um, you know, you, you want to get as close as you can to your starting mobile phase, um, specifically like with the weak component of your, your liquid yes, mobile yeah. phase. Um, and, and that's going to, that's going to help your peak shape and reduce that. Maybe the possibility of any solvent mismatch, mm -hmm. um, that kind of causes some fronting peaks, peak fronting that we can kind of mm -hmm. see some asymmetry in, in the chromatography, um, for, for HPLC. I don't know about GC. <laughs> so, well, um, yeah, well, with uh, with GC, it's more just a matter of matching that solvent with the uh, stationary phase. If you have a nonpolar stationary phase, you would uh, make sure that your solvent is nonpolar so that when you conduct that solvent focusing, it spreads evenly uh, mm -hmm. across the uh, across the surface. As opposed, to, it's kind of like water on Teflon; it would beat up, or as water on on glass it would spread out nicely oh that's so, that's a great yeah that's a great it's a great visual zach yeah <laughs> well like, with, with um one of the things that came to mind when you were talking about uh you know using a weak solvent you know favoring a weaker solvent for your sample prep uh, mm -hmm. and for your sample during the lc was you know weak doesn't always mean water yes like i know sometimes yes. it was yes. a c18 column yeah but like I know sometimes you deal with polar stationary phases. Totally. Yeah, you're you're completely right. Yeah. So weak doesn't always mean um yeah, so you know, I, I kinda kinda fall into talking about reverse phase a lot, but you're you're totally right. I mean, weak yeah. doesn't always mean the buffer or water or buffer. Uh mm -hmm. yeah, you're totally right. Uh I mean, yeah. Uh you know, fi final thoughts, Zach. I mean there's just there are a lot of similarities between the two techniques i think um mm -hmm. and there are just a, a lot of advantages i feel like with both of them um you know i i feel like i feel like hplc is not always the best technique i i, I mean i'm partial to it and i know you are you know <laughs> kind of too but but hp i mean gc is is great it's uh, it's overlooked, uh, yeah, certainly, especially when it comes to small molecules. Uh, but um, what yeah, what its shortcomings certainly are, are when it are with respect to uh, you know ionic compounds, um, acids, bases, and and just generally larger compounds. Um, and I know that that's where LC really really shines. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I guess what's cool in terms of uh, as you said, you know, a surprising number of similarities. A lot of the broader ideas of chromatography are uh, 
very similar among the two in terms of when do you want to match your uh, the polarities of your anorites with a with a stationary phase? Those interactions, mm-hmm. those, you know, column length and and internal di- diameter sample mm-hmm. prep approaches yeah. to your gradient. And, yeah, uh, totally. It's just a matter of how they're actually implemented. That's uh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I completely agree. Well, uh, Zach. Thank you for for talking to me, your this coworker. Is right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for spending so time with me today. And uh, yeah. I I I mean, you okay. know, I always like talking chromatography. And um, and for those of you that joined us, you know, thanks for hanging with us. This is awesome. This is a pleasure. Hopefully, we'll have a chance to do it again. Cool. Yeah, I I I hope so. <laughs> right. so yeah. <laughs> cool. To, well, uh, yeah. To, to everyone, um, you know, thank you again, and uh, please stay healthy. Okay. Yes, agreed. Right. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, Zach and Genevieve. That was a lively and fun discussion. And as they already mentioned, if you have any questions or if you have any technical issues in your lab, you can get in touch with our technical specialists like Genevieve and Zach through our free online service chat now. There, you'll be able to get insight into method optimization. You'll be able to receive technical assistance, product recommendations, even quick order, along with so much more. We hope everyone is staying happy and healthy, and we can't wait to bring you our next episode next month. Till then, stay nerdy. Stay nerdy.